You are listening to the Physio Accelerator Podcast with Trish Wisby-Roth. Hi everyone, it's Trish Wisby-Roth for another episode of the podcast. And this is a special request from a listener of our um, live Facebook Q&A who asked, someone comes in with unusual symptoms or you're not sure whether it's lumbar spine, pelvis, hip, neural sensitization, what's your process of trying to differentially diagnose? And I thought, well, that's a, 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 a big topic for, for a half an hour podcast, but I think it's really um, important. So I'm going to give you some tips Keep it under 30 minutes. Um, and really in our onboarding series, it's what we try to do, give you some key things to create a differential diagnostic algorithm and also to give you a scaffolding of how you would go on and treat that. So as, opportun- as opportunity has it, I had a call from a good friend who is a very uh, famous Australian researcher who said, look, I've got a family member who has some type of pain shooting down her leg. Um, It's not my area of expertise. Uh, She's a researcher in more the lower limb. She said, will you see her? So... I saw her today and I'll just go through her presentation because I think it is really an interesting uh, exercise in differential diagnosis. What she reports is that she was complaining of right lateral hip pain that comes in association with a sharp um referred very specific pain that's very high intensity and sometimes that pain can be down the front of her thigh but recently it's also been a little bit lateral or medial calf but the pain comes and then goes away completely which is really interesting she reports that uh, it does wake her at night and that she often wakes up laying on that right side and it's sore and she turns over um, to relieve the pain. She has had a left-sided gluteal tendinopathy in the past. The pain currently is right-sided and she said it's different to that pain. That pain was a point tenderness on the hip and it's what Jill Cook always says, a tendon you can point to with a finger. However, uh, the presentation on the right, she said, yes, there is pain on the lateral hip, but it also spreads down the front of the thigh when it comes and this sharp kind of lancinating pain that comes and goes. Now, she is um, 
a, a preschool teacher, so she spends a lot of time sitting on the ground and uh, on small chairs. She said she really has trouble at work getting up off the ground, so being in hip flexion tended to provoke her and she, it did make her feel a little bit weak on that leg when she was getting up out of that position. When I, a really important question to ask, not only um, about their general history and whether they've taken anti-inflammatories for it, but a couple of my key questions are, um, when was the first time you ever experienced the pain? Because often they'll talk about the latest exacerbation, but if you make them think about the first time and uh, she reported, and let's just call her Jay. So Jay reported the first time she ever experienced the pain was they went uh, during um, holidays. They went down to Mount Kosciuszko and went for a walk to the Blue Ma the Blue Lake, and it was five kilometres, but it was all uphill, and she hadn't done that much uphill walking for a long time, and it was really quite a big effort for her. She was sore that night and a couple of days afterwards, but um, then it went away. So she does notice at work this vulnerability or weakness when she's um, trying to get from sitting to standing. Uh, she reports no numbness, no um, pins and needles, uh, no frank weakness. She also reported no back pain, but on further questioning, she talks about right-sided lumbar spine stiffness. Interestingly enough, when I asked her, does the pain move around, she also said, yes, I get this unusual pain in the appendix region on the right side. And one of the other interesting things was she said uh, she had hurt her right knee in the past and she did wonder when she was wearing hiking boots and a couple of times she's used hiking boots in, in the past and then being tight around her ankle that she wondered if that kind of provoked the pain because that often made it worse but she wasn't sure that they were related. So you know it's a very hard to pin down type of pain isn't it? So how do we go about trying to break it down? She tried Nurofen as far as medication once, didn't really help but one dose of Neurofin would be um, suboptimal as far as anti-inflammatories go. She generally is doing a um, high-intensity 20-minute program in the gym three times a week. She does a, um, elliptical work and she has in the past done um, the Jill Cook gluteal tendon program for a left-sided gluteal tendinopathy several years ago. Interestingly, um, she only did the exercises on the left side. Her problem was now on her right side, um, but uh, that did resolve with the isometric uh, program designed by Jill Cook. So 
the way I will go about it is before I start looking at joints and neural mobility, I'm going to look at function because I want to see what functionally perhaps brings on her symptoms and functionally what she struggles with. So my classic go-to will be a functional lunge in tandem position. So I want to challenge their balance a little bit, one foot in front and the other behind. I let them choose which one to go with, but then we'll swap it over. And then compare that to having the legs more abducted and um, so what that tells me very often when you put them in a lunge position in tandem if they're challenged with balance they will really notice it if they have things going on like gluteal tendinopathy hip OA hip restriction um FAI that is really restricting that range, significant neural tension uh, through the either the back of the hip with the hip that's in front or the front of the hip with the hip at the back, uh, they will really notice it in this functional position. And what we noticed with Jay was that when that right leg was back she had a lot of tightness through the front of her quads and the front of her hip and anterior pelvis type area but when that right leg was in front she really struggled to bring herself back up to standing from that lunge so she wanted to use her hands on her right thigh to bring her up and uh, with that position she really was was challenged to keep her balance and alignment whereas putting her in a lunge position with the legs much further out to the side uh, different story so that really does takes her out of that closed pack position of the hip takes away some of the neural tension um, and also doesn't push the hip into that closed pack position of flexion, adduction, internal rotation. So certainly with the hip in both flexion and extension in a tandem, it really brought on some of her weakness, her tightness. So then I looked at her one-legged eccentric concentric control on a step. And the reason I do this is one-legged control is really functional. Whether you've got lumbar spine issues, pelvic issues, or hip issues, it tells you a lot. If it's classic, real SIJ, either inflammatory, so sacroiliitis, or they've had a huge trauma, which Jay hadn't, so she wasn't really looking like SIJ, they, with one-legged concentric eccentric control on a step will fail quite spectacularly or will bring on exactly their pain so it's a good one if you're wanting to uh, exclude things going on in the pelvis if they can cope with that um, very well and it doesn't provoke their pain or their dysfunction then it's a nice functional task that helps to exclude the SIJ but with people with uh, glute tendinopathy very often their one-legged 
concentric, eccentric control is quite poor. And it was interesting looking at Jay, even though she'd had glute tendinopathy in the past on the left, she actually coped with that task, repeated um, concentric, eccentric on one leg on a step very well on the left, but um, failed quite spectacularly on the right. So there's a lot of things that are pointing towards looking functionally at what's happening in that right hip. But some of the signs and symptoms don't sound like a hip, do they? So then the next thing I do functionally is I like to see with a dynamic neural tension test. Because if they do have some underlying neural-referred symptoms, the most effective way, particularly if they're not in acute disc or they're not in extreme pain, the way to bring on those symptoms is to do it in a functional position. So the way that I do that is a functional slump. I'll get them to take their shin down to their chest, bend down as far as they can until they feel some symptoms you know, some tightness or some of their referred symptoms. Jay didn't get any referred symptoms, felt some tightness in her calf when she got down quite low. So um, her hands to uh, her hands to her mid tibia and then simply ask her to lift her head up and um, and see if that decreases any symptoms that she's experiencing. She felt tightness in her calves. He, she lifted her head didn't change anything. So and that's quite quite a a provocative neural tension test. So you're not going to do that with someone in extreme pain, but when you're searching for this differential diagnosis of what's happening in lumbopelvic hip, it can be a really nice functional way. And truly if you can do a slump like that and, and not have any symptoms, I think you can give um, some testing a tick. Then I asked her to be in an extended lunge. So I had first the left and then the right leg back. I again get her to drop a chin to her down as far so her cervical spine is in extension. Get her to do um, a lunge and I have her holding onto a wall, you know, for support so it's not a balanced thing. And that significantly brought on even more so this tightness through the front of her groin, kind of appendix area down the front of her leg, and which is really quite um, significant as far as neural tension goes. When we held that position and simply got her to take her head back, it relieved a lot of the tightness. It's still some some tightness, but the the pain and the irritation and decreased the feeling of tightness in the front of that leg. Interestingly, then when we went on to objective assessment, I did a side-lying femoral nerve test and again, that was positive. So before we then look at all of the things for the lumbar spine and the SIJ and the hip, I'm already functionally, if I'm limited in time, the things I'm going to go towards is looking at what's happening in that hip because in functional movements, it really both brought on the pain and she struggled to um, 
functionally balanced and dynamically weight bear in movement patterns that she needs as a preschool teacher, being able to get down into hip flexion or um, in lunges, and also look at femoral nerve because it was quite positive and it could fit with some of these shooting pains that she gets at night if she overloads herself. And uh, interestingly enough, it's hard to say, I, I, I've only seen her once, but the femoral nerve can then goes on to become the sural nerve that comes in around the ankle. So it may well be when she's a bit um, neurally sensitised for whatever reason, having heavy hiking boots tight around the foot and ankle may just add one more provocative um, irritant to that to um, the neural system. Only time will tell with that. Now, so then what we went on to look at, I looked first at the hip. So interestingly, compared to the left, she had limited flexion internal rotation at about quite restricted at 5 to 10 degrees internal rotation in hip flexion. And it also remained relatively restricted, improved, but still a bit restricted in hip extension. So, you know, it tells me there's a bit of right hip stiffness there, particularly into flexion, but also uh, possibly some of the the hip um, extensors, so deep hip external rotators or other muscles that get wound up as you take the hip into hip flexion. So that was one thing. On um, gluteal tendon testing, she was highly positive on the gluteal derotation test for the right and very weak and it reproduced that lateral hip pain. Interestingly, when I did it on the left, she was much stronger, but she did say, ah, there's still a hint of that pain that I used to have years ago on the left. And I asked if she continued doing her glute um, isometrics and she said she hadn't. So uh, that was really interesting to see that uh, she was very positive on gluteal tendon uh, tests. She had a very restricted right um, fibres, which tended, if anything, to bring on lateral pain, again, a sign of um, a gluteal tendinopathy. But she was able to bend down to get her shoes and socks on. Now, if it's real significant hip OA that is provoking it, that's something that they really struggle with, whereas gluteal tendon don't have as much problem and she really didn't have any problems with that and on palpation the uh, gluteal tendons were very tender rich on the retro surface on palpation and there is research by um, that have been done that show that if you have positive lateral pain on fibers plus it's tender on palpation but you can get down to get your shoes and socks off easily. It's a higher, much higher um, sensitivity and specificity for right gluteal tendinopathy. 
So our number one functional thing that we wanted to improve was that hip mobility, flexion, internal rotation, but also work on um, settling down that right glute tendon. However, that didn't explain the neural symptoms. They were very positive on femoral nerve testing um, and she had laying on a tummy very restricted hip extension on the right not only with the knee bent but also with the knee extended so that's telling me that there's you know either the hip joint is stiff into extension or her hip flexors and she talked about this appendix type pain that she experiences when walking so uh, we had a little look through the front of her hip and, uh, you know, really on, you'd have to do my courses or some of the onboarding, I go through these things, but palpation through the front of the hip and the femoral nerve just under the inguinal ligament and as it comes down uh, through the uh, adductor canal, which is between the quadriceps and the adductor, was very tender on palpation. And if you put them in a femoral nerve kind of tension position, that was provocative for it. Her um, palpation, and there's a trigger point um, for your hip flexors where the femoral nerve passes through it it's about two fingers out from the belly button and two fingers down now jay was very slim on a lot of patients you don't have a hope of palpating that but um and if you don't want to you don't believe in it that's fine but um we you can do a you know palpated on on um slim people and the other really interesting factor as far as the lumbar spine goes is her extension rotation of a lumbar spine was pain-free and good range. Where she was really restricted was into flexion and left rotation. And she felt a lot of tightness and restriction through her right lumbar spine. When we went on to look at some pivums, she was very stiff in L2-3 and L3-4 on that right side. So when you look at a scenario of hip stiffness and some gluteal tendinopathy and then some lumbar spine stiffness, it's quite possible when she's overloaded it by doing a lot of hip flexion and loading it walking up five kilometers and then down five kilometers her compensationary strategies have just irritated her lumbar spine and that femoral nerve a little bit so i don't really have time to go through how we treated her although what i would say is we I checked reflexes, they were normal. Sensation was normal. The only thing that lets me guides me towards keeping an eye on any type of sensitivity or sensitization is her night pain. Um, but let 
all other things seem really sensitisation wasn't an issue and that could just be something that is a little bit acute. But the what we did with Jay was we designed an exercise program. I tried to min- minimise it to two exercises for her to do in the morning and the evening when she goes to when she's in bed so to get some lumbar spine flexion rotation while in bed so there were no signs of it being discal and also some gentle you know hip flexor and hip extension stretches without aggravating the lumbar spine so two to do in bed morning and night then what we gave her functionally during the day because she's working with children sitting on low chairs is to do some stretches into lumbar spine flexion and also hip flexion but not low enough that it aggravates her um right glute tendinopathy because we know if you put the hip in too much flexion that will irritate it and then some uh, gluteal isometrics standing on one leg which she knew before from Jill Cook's program and she'd done those to great effect on the left side so we instigated that on the right side and interestingly enough, we did those exercises before we went on to do a little bit of targeted um, hands-on treatment. And it was interesting to note that even with just doing that exercise program, her neural tension had improved by more than 50%. We also... Um, gave her, I did a little bit of flexion rotation mobs to L2, L3 and a little bit of contract relax just to the deep external rotators of the hip. Now, if you want to be a purist, you could have said, let's just treat the hip and leave the lumbar spine for next time. And I think that you would be very justified to do that. This patient was coming from an hour and a half away and uh, I may actually follow her up with telehealth. So I then decided to do very targeted um, flexion rotation mobilisation to the lumbar spine, L2334, and reassessing. She had very good lumbar spine flexion, left rotation. She had improved hip extension to 10 degrees, not as good as the other side, but in the right direction. Internal rotation inflection had now improved to about 20 degrees and we had designed a um, gluteal tendon isometric program for her. So interestingly, when I reassess her, I always like to reassess asterisk signs. So we cleared femoral nerve test laying on the bed, side lying, but we also cleared it with the functional one we'd done in in uh, lunge, 
with that leg back. And then we went back to the functional diagonal lunges, not diagonal, inline lunges. And she looked at me and said, how is that possible that it feels so much better and it's not provoking the symptoms? And what I said to her is that it's just that lumbo-pelvic hip. Now there's a little bit more slack in the system. It's working better. And so it's not provoking those neural symptoms as much. And a good analogy I like to use is if a hose is stuck under a house and it's it's getting caught around three rocks, if you can just move one or two of those rocks away, all of a sudden the hose is able to move much better. And I think our neural system is like that. You just take one or two of those interfaces and give them a little bit more mobility teach you know teach the patient how to improve their dynamic mobility and strength and they don't have to be perfect to then not feel the symptoms so um, she went away with a program of four exercises to start with and I think three to four is a maximum people can cope we've set them up on fizzy track we put the individual um cues the reps she can contact us via fizzy track but uh it was really good to see at the end her asterisk signs of pain on lunges um positive femoral nerve uh very restricted um hip rotation uh, rotation and extension and uh, restricted lumbar spine flexion rotation to the left had all significantly improved. The one thing that stayed very positive was pain on a hip derotation test. And so we'll reassess that um, when we see her again. So hopefully that gives you some ideas of when you get these people in, is it lumbar spine, is it pelvis, is it hip? some functional ways that you can start differentially diagnosing it. And I think it's really important to start with function because you can go down a rabbit hole of just looking for anything in their body that is a bit stiff. I had plenty of time, so I addressed the lumbar spine and the hip. You'd be vet, If I was in a specialist exam, I would have just chosen one of those to see what effect it would have. And uh, I think because she'd had night pain was most significant, I would have, and referred night pain, I would have gone probably for the lumbar spine to see if we could ease that. And then the next session address the hip with um, the joint restriction, but also the gluteal tendinopathy. Saying that, some of her night pain, not the referred pain, but laying on that side, that point pain probably was gluteal tendinopathy. So I hope that hasn't confused you. And if there's, if you like any of those concepts of how to how to assess things functionally, how to assess the lumbar spine, the hip, the you know the pelvis in the onboarding. It, series which you can buy from the physio accelerator at a very cost effective price and we created it in conjunction with the APA so half the money goes to the APA uh, it will give you the beginning of those um, building blocks and then you know if you're interested we are starting a private practice mastery um, blended learning um, 
program later this year and you can decide to do the whole thing over 12 months or just deep dive into understanding the lumbar spine or the hip. Anyway, you've heard enough of me. So hopefully you found that worthwhile and um, thanks for the request for looking at differential diagnosis of lumbar pelvic hip patients when they first come into private practice. Talk to you next week. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Physio Accelerator podcast. If you'd like to find out more about what we do, head to thephysioaccelerator.com. While you're there, don't forget to sign up for our email list for more great insights from Trish and information about our upcoming courses. Before you go, if you think of a friend or a colleague who would benefit from listening to this podcast, make sure you send it their way. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.